Hey everybody, uh, welcome to the podcast. My name's Fisher, and today I've got uh, my guest Cody with me today. Welcome to the show, Cody. Hi, Fisher. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us, man. Would you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself today? Yeah, so uh, I'm from South Louisiana, and we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, I moved to Colorado in 2018 to come to college here at CSU. I'm an English and history major with a focus in creative writing. And history has a lot of the reason to do with why I'm here today. Okay, well, awesome. Let's hop into it. What, uh, what do you got for us today? So I would, literally, I would really like to start with a question. So what happens when we ground our setting? You know, uh, the American narrative tends to, it's all about where we're going, and it's all about where we can be tomorrow. Mm. But I want to ask, you know, what if we just ground ourselves and we just focus on one place and over time look at that place and how the American narrative fits on that place? And I think we can see that the American ethos, this just just endless growth, you know, always tomorrow, always go forward. This ethos is really unsustainable, in some ways delusional and utterly impossible. Hmm. Yeah, so we see that this American ethos is unsustainable, and you say it's delusional. You also say it's impossible. What, what do you mean by impossible, Cody? So if we just ground our, our perspectives in one place, let's use me as an example. I'm from a town called Sulphur, Louisiana, and it's called Sulphur because in the early 20th century, they found huge deposits of sulphur in this one spot in Calcasieu Parish mm-hmm. in southwest Louisiana. And in one year, they were able to take out so much sulfur from this one spot that it could have supplied the entire world's Whoa. demand. <laughs> yeah, extraction to the extreme. One spot supplying the entire world's demand of one mineral. That's insane. And if you look at sulfur today, it's a huge petrochemical corridor. It's not just sulfur, it's all kinds of fossil fuels. The natural gas is big in it too. But the entire coast of Louisiana today is just one big petrochemical corridor. My own experience growing up, my neighborhood that I grew up in and me and all my friends grew up in, it was surrounded to the north, east, and south by these petrochemical refineries. The one to the south is actually the most recent one. It was built in the past like four years. Mm. And it's literally within spitting distance of our neighborhood. You can see it. Mm. It's right there. So let's talk more about these petrochemical plants. They're surrounding your home in this grounded area that we're considering. What do these plants do? Yeah, so these plants actually produce a lot of the commodities that we use in our day-to-day life, some stuff that we might not even think about. You know, obviously they're using fossil fuels, but they're refining from these fossil fuels things like plastics, things like industrial chemicals that go into herbicides and pesticides, stuff that you and I you know, can't even really understand it's really it's a really really big chemistry a lot of it's gasoline we they refine gasoline in these places jet fuel too the jet fuel that powers airplanes comes from these places and this is where i really want to expand it from this one spot these commodities have continental connections gasoline jet fuel industrial chemicals a lot of them are coming from this one spot but they have to do with almost everything across the north american continent my own backyard and my own childhood has just as much to do with my life as it does with your ability to put gasoline in your gas tank. Mm. And that's kind of what I'm getting at here. The entire Louisiana coast is connected to American growth. And I use growth intentionally. This growth is what motivated this big expansion in petrochemical refineries in the coast, but it came at a huge huge cost to the ecosystems of the coast. I read this book. It's a really great book by disaster anthropologist Kate Brown. It's called Standing in the Need. And she does a good job of showing the extent of the damage and the consequences of this damage. These, these fossil fuel companies, whenever they extract fuel from the ground, 
they dig canals through the wetlands to get to their extraction sites and to get that fuel back to the refineries. Digging these canals has cut up the marshlands tremendously. She gives the figure Mm. of 8,600 miles of canals have been dug since the 1960s. Mm. Just from Sulphur to Fort Collins, that's only about 1,500 miles. That's that's like less than 2,000 miles. 8,600 miles of canals just in the coast of Louisiana. And coastal erosion follows after that. The, the, the landscape is not able to sustain itself. It's, it's unhealthy and it's dying. And that dying was motivated and justified by this mindset of growth and mm. being able to grow the economy and grow the opportunities for everyone living there. And I think our quote from the governor of Louisiana right now, Governor John Bell Edwards, really does a good job of summing it up in the context of efforts to restore the coast any way that they can. Governor Edwards says, quote, Risks are such that the entire coast of Louisiana cannot be preserved as it presently exists. Wow. So you're painting this picture of devastating destruction, right? Inconsiderate destruction. It, it makes me think, like, when this whole petro boom was, was beginning, did anybody have any foresight? Did anybody see this coming and, and think about? Well, Fisher, the foresight was on growth. The foresight was on business and opportunity and being able to, you know, this, this idea of progress. You know, we want more opportunities for people. But that left no room for environmental considerations. They mm-hmm. focused the opportunity on what they could grow and what they could get from it that they didn't actually focus on the landscape itself. And I think you can draw parallels between that focus on the opportunity, focus on the potential in the future without regard to the actual landscape, the here and the now, mm. this, the ground under our feet. I think that's kind of behind this American trope of, you know, I just want to leave home. If I could just get out of this place and go to another place, things will be better. Things will be better elsewhere tomorrow. I think this plays into that trope of just focusing on the opportunity instead of the actual landscape of where you are and what that means. I think that the way of our thinking and how we think about what is possible for ourselves blinds us to the reality uh, literally under our feet. I want to talk about George Lakoff and his ideas of framing and framework. Uh, He's a cognitive linguist and he basically shows how these ideas that we talk about, these conversations that we have, they depend on prearranged images. You know, these, these ideas we discuss, they aren't blank slates. We come into these conversations with prearranged understandings of what we're talking about. Mm. And these can draw on, you know, certain images. So if I were to say, you know, progress, or growth, opportunity, those three words probably draw in a host of images into your mind. Right. So if I'm, if I'm understanding you correctly here, this whole idea of frames and frameworks, it's almost like the, the, the lens of a camera through which we understand the reality or in the world around us. Is this right? Yeah, exactly. A lens, a camera through which we make sense of reality. And this is why narratives and stories mean so much to us. This, this, this story that we tell ourselves of what is possible for ourselves. So when we talk about success and opportunity, usually that's a story that has these images of, you know, being able to buy a house, being able to buy a car for ourselves, being able to water my lawn, being able to buy whatever I want. That's usually how the story of success goes. But we hardly ever ask ourselves what that success actually depends on. You know, where are my groceries coming from? What built my house? How does my lawn stay watered? Those kinds of things. And I think this American mindset of, you know, opportunity and growth and, you know, there's always going to be a better tomorrow this mindset just blinds itself to the landscape that it's actually built on and the resources that it depends on. 
And if you just look at Fort Collins right now in Loveland, the, the, the land between Fort Collins and Loveland, you can just see this huge suburban sprawl. Mm. You know, I actually work in them in the summer with some landscaping companies. They, it's, just, it's just suburban sprawl, huge expansions, you know, growth. But Colorado's in the middle of a drought. Yeah. You know, we're low on water right now. How can we justify these hugely expensive and energy-intensive, resource-intensive projects in the midst of a drought. And I think this mindset of not really paying attention to the actual landscape and the nature, this is the same logic that has killed Louisiana's coast. Wow. Well, yeah, so, so, so far I've heard you talking about this idea of the American endless growth mindset, right? This lens that we've been looking at. Uh, do you have any idea, is there another lens that takes everything, including the entire landscape, into consideration? Maybe yeah. something more holistic. Yeah, yeah, that's actually great to bring up. Even though this American mindset of always growth, always progress, even though it's so pervasive and dominant in our society, it is by no means the only way to look at the world. So actually, indigenous cultures actually understand things a little differently than we do. Some scholars, Raymond Piorati and Daniel Wildcat, they talk about traditional ecological knowledge and... I can't really sum up the whole thing here, but basically indigenous cultures tend to look at things spatially. You know, we look at things temporally. Uh, where am I today? How can I get to tomorrow? How can I be better tomorrow? But that's not how these people look at things. History can be understood on the landscape. They look around them and that those are the stories they tell. The landforms, the landscape, the actual physical world is how they make sense of themselves, the history where they move forward. And I think this is something that we could really learn a lesson from. I think if you can look at South Louisiana between those two lenses, either this American always growth, always progress mindset, uh, thinking of history temporally, if we look at South Louisiana that way, it's, it's kind of hard to see the problems of the coast that I've been talking about. I was never taught these things in history class. But if we look at history and if we look at ourselves and everything about our culture, if we look at that spatially, how it actually fits on the landscapes, I think that's a much more accurate way to see what's actually happening in South Louisiana. I actually watched this documentary a while ago. It's called Taming the Wild, and it's about indigenous cultures in California. Mm. And there's a really great quote that I took away from that. Someone said, we live in a world of fences. I think that's a great way to put it. I think that's a great way to think of you know, how boxed in and parcelized this American mindset is. You know, like the this is, this is not how the real world operates. Mm. You know, things don't stay within boundaries. Ecology doesn't work that way. We can build a fence, but that's not how it actually works. It seems like this American mindset doesn't quite place itself in, in the realist interpretation of the world around us. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We like to think of the world as like in market terms, economic terms, the, the possibility of a business to grow, but that's not the real world. Like you said, we don't Place ourselves in this the realist world and if you've read rachel carson's silent spring that does a great job of showing this she talks about obviously pesticides and the widespread spraying of pesticides and how wrongly we thought that this widespread spraying of pesticides would not have consequences outside of the area that we sprayed them in but rachel carson shows that by god yes it does Yes, the, the, the chemicals that we spray in one place end up in the rivers and wind up in a totally different place. There are no boundaries to nature. Things work outward. Things work spatially. You know, in America, this American mindset, the American mindset thinks that its consequences and the consequences of its ambitions can be localized, fenced in. That's, that's just not how this works. And Rachel Carson shows that too. 
And have you heard of the dead zone off the coast of the Gulf of Mexico? I, I haven't, no. What was no, that about? I don't think you have. And I never did until I came here and I read about it online because they don't teach us about it <laughs> there. So pesticides that are sprayed in big monoculture farms in Nebraska, Iowa, anywhere else in the Mississippi watershed, all of those pesticides, just like Carson talks about, run off from the farms into the rivers. They wind up at this terminus point, the end of the Mississippi River in the Gulf of Mexico. Wow. So all of these chemicals, they end up in the Gulf of Mexico and they create a hypoxic zone. Hypoxia meaning lack of oxygen. Mm. It's, it's terrible for the water and for the, the actual ecosystems that end up with these chemicals. And it's created this, what they call a dead zone of fish aren't able to live if there's no oxygen in the water. Mm. And they come from these pesticides that are sprayed far off in different parts of the country. Right. Uh, the EPA talks about it. There's a great documentary called Troubled Waters that they do a great job of going into it. And it's just another example of how the, our ambitions and what we like to think we can do, they're not localized to where we do that. The, the pesticides aren't localized to the farm. They run off. They end up in a different place. And so I think going back to what I said about grounding our perspective, I think if we ground our perspective and we ground these things in Louisiana, as just one example, it allows us to see that it's not just the Gulf of Mexico that has a problem. It's everything that leads to the mm. Gulf of Mexico that has a problem. It's not just the place and what's wrong with the place. It's everything that leads to the place. Mm. And I think we can also see, you know, when we look at obviously how the landscape and the actual nature has been cheated by this wrong mindset, we can also see who is actually cheated mm. by this, the quote unquote benefits of growth and progress. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned this idea of, of people or, or, or places being cheated. Are you talking about people like you and your friends? Yeah. So me and my friends, actually, we have a privileged position in that I wanted to leave South Louisiana and I could, I had another place to go. Mm. Imagine not having another place to go. Imagine wanting to stay, but not being able to stay. Yeah. So in South Louisiana, I mean, south of New Orleans, there is a, a tribe of indigenous people, the Chittimacha, Choctaw, Biloxi tribe, in a place called Isle de Jean Charles. And people are describing places like Isle de Jean Charles as climate refugees. Mm. They're being displaced by ongoing coastal erosion, rising sea levels, lots of other horrible processes. And uh, there's a video on the tribal website that they talk about this resettlement program. Water is our life and our death. Mm. That's a quote from the video. This, this, this water that they usually draw life from, this, this, this landscape that they for centuries have depended on and have lived on well, mm. now it's their death. Wow. This, this rising waters and coastal erosion have just forced them out of their home. It's not just happening in South Louisiana. It's happening in other parts of the country too. Mm. Um, a place called Shishmaref, Alaska, some scholars, Elizabeth Marino and Heather Lazarus, do a great study looking at the people living here and the risks that they face. And it's, it's the same process. They're being displaced by rising sea levels, um, lack of opportunities in the place to begin with. And in, in both these places, Isle de Jean Charles and in Shishmaref, Alaska, we can see that indigenous ways of life, that, that, that other way of thinking about the world that I mentioned earlier, they're being threatened by outside changes these people really didn't have much to do with in the first place. Mm. For these people, living a good life depends on close and healthy connection to the landscape. Wow. So when we compare this one perspective, right, of the good life is a life that's, that's close and, and has a healthful connection to its place. Uh, from my perspective, when we look at the American, or possibly even the white American good life, it, it depends on quite different things, right? It, it depends on this ability to 
to get up and leave, right? Of this idea of extraction and impossible distances. Is, is this a true, true connection? Yeah, true I think contrast? that's a great. I think that's a great way to look at it. That this this American mindset of the good life depends on impossible infrastructures that are dependent themselves on impossible understandings of the natural world. Mm. This impossible understanding. It's it, it's why my friends hate the home that they're living in now. That's all I ever hear from my friends mm. is how much they want to leave, how much they think that they could be better off elsewhere. And that, that, that deeply saddens me because this this place, this South Louisiana, it should be paradise. And it's not. It's creating this incompatibility with place that is totally unsustainable. The South Louisiana, it's dying at the same time that it's, quote unquote, growing. Uh, Vox does a great job of showing this in their video. One reason why coronavirus hits black people the hardest. It's a video on YouTube that goes into the causes of the historical causes of why black communities in this one spot of Louisiana are seeing disproportionately high death rates from COVID. Mm. And it's it has to do with those petrochemical refineries that I mentioned earlier. There's a stretch of the Mississippi River from Baton Rouge to New Orleans called Cancer Alley. Mm -hmm. And that pretty much sums it up right there. (laughs) People living in this stretch, they report disproportionately high rates of cancer and upper respiratory illnesses. And it's because they live in close close proximity to these petrochemical refineries. And this is a problem that's just ongoing and it hasn't been addressed because it just doesn't fit into that narrative of growth and always moving forward. It's just more of the same all the time. I I read an article published by the newspaper Southerly the other day, an article by Sarah Sneath, and she talks about a pipeline that's being pushed like today, like it's still in process. It's being pushed through those same communities, these mm-hmm. black and indigenous communities that aren't consenting to the pipeline. Wow. But the government officials are pushing this pipeline through because it's about growth. It's mm. about progress. It's about growing that economy and growing those opportunities. Yeah. So this just doesn't make sense to me, Cody. It, it seems like the state is continuing on, right? Business as usual, despite being in the face of erosion and sickness and for you and your friends, it's <laughs> taken the form of, of moral degradation. You know, Fisher, it doesn't make sense to me either. <laughs> and I think it just overall does not make sense. It just doesn't make sense. It's an impossible reality mm. that we're living in here. Louisiana can be looked at as a place that is dependent upon its own destruction. And I think that kind of mindset of not paying attention to the actual landscape that's being destroyed, only focusing on the, the quote unquote opportunities and growth that come from it. Mm. I think we, we can apply that to the nation at large. Wow. So is there nothing to be done, right? You've, you've painted a pretty grim reality today. From your perspective, do we have any hope? No, I'm, I'm deeply worried. I'll say that. But I do think there's something like hope. I think there's something to look forward to. Yeah. Um, I just Logically, I don't think Louisiana is going to kill itself. <laughs> that, that just doesn't make sense. Yeah. I think at some point, they're already in the process of trying to restore the coast. I think at some point, they will make that drastic change away from this mindset that they're mm-hmm. trapped in right now. Mm-hmm. And we can also see these arguments being made at the highest levels of government already. Back in 2015, there was a court case filed with the Supreme Court, Juliana versus the United States. Mm. And it tries to sue the federal government since the federal government hasn't taken it upon itself to ensure and guarantee a safe climate system mm. for its future generations. It's, it's in the weeds right now. It, it, I don't think there's been a definitive opinion put out for it. I don't think the case has been decided yet. But... The arguments are being made. The, the push is happening. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's not much, but it is a small glimmer of hope for us to hang our hats <laughs> on, huh? Uh, we're, we're at the end of our time today, Cody. I want to thank you so much for uh, all these insightful thoughts that you've brought to the table. Is there one last thing that you'd like to leave listeners with today? Ground yourselves. 
I think if we just ground ourselves and look at where we are, look at our hometown, look where we come from, how long can it last the way it is? How long can it operate the way that it's operating? Ask ourselves, if we want to leave, what's making us want to leave? You know, what makes it possible to leave? Ask, just, look at, just look at the physical ground under our feet and ask ourselves, what is going on here? If I want to leave, what's making me want to leave? What's even making it possible for me to leave? And I guess I'll just end on this one statement. It can no longer be about where we go next. From here on out, it has to be about where we are now. Wow. Powerful stuff. Thank you, Cody. Thanks for all the listeners. Hope everyone has a great rest of your day. Thanks for having me.